Good morning to you, and a blessing to be able to uh, praise God with you and to study his word together. If you are a guest with us, I always like to point out that in your bulletin is a gold insert, and uh, that might be something that uh, you can make use of as we study God's word together and even take home for your uh, you know, personal devotion or with your family this week. As you look out the windows and you see snow in the middle of April, it makes you really know why you live in Minnesota, right? Um, Spring in Minnesota is kind of a a weird thing some years like it is this year. And I'm not even going to be necessarily referencing the actual weather uh, as it is what it is. But even in spring, you come to find all the damage that the cold winter does to the roads. Um, I found that out quite personally the other night. Uh, We were driving a certain place, and there were some puddles on the entrance to a place that we were going. And, you know, it was a puddle. I mean, I'm in a trailblazer, you know, whatever. So I drive over it, and literally it was as if it was... It was more than a puddle. It was like a, a hole that an asteroid made falling to Earth. You could fit like five kids in there. And, and as we hit it, I'm certain that the trailblazers are going to fall apart. And my head hits almost the ceiling of the, the car. And we are totally, sort of I am at least, jostled back to reality, all right? Whatever I may have been daydreaming about, no longer this big old speed bump, Minnesota pothole got me back to reality. You know, in life sometimes we can kind of mindlessly go through. Um, If you're anything like me, um, it's easy to fill your life, no matter what age you are, with a whole bunch of things. And sometimes you can go days, weeks, or even months of your life just getting the stuff that needs to get done today without ever even stopping to consider the bigger picture. And sometimes what we just need is to hit an asteroid-sized pothole. Sometimes you need someone to throw a speed bump out in front of you. And that's kind of how I'd like to think of this series. That God is throwing out a speed bump, and while we all have the tendency to sort of just go day to day without thinking about who we really are and what that really means and who does God say I am, that looking at things from that view is going to make an entirely huge difference on our lives. So last week we got started. Um, This series is based around some words that Peter wrote in 1 Peter, if you go to the the next slide. In 1 Peter chapter 2. And last week we got started by looking at the the first title given in verse 9, you're a chosen people. Today we're going to be talking about how we all are priests. We're a royal priesthood. And, you know, you may have been called chosen before. I'm thinking that most of us maybe haven't really considered the fact that we're priests before. So let me ask you, uh, like last week, a little bit of class participation. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word priest? First thing. Catholic? I heard something else. Was there something? There was something. I know there was three voices that talked. Did everyone say Catholic? What was another one? Pastor. Okay, so a church leader. Anything else? You know what? You know what that silence is? That, in fact, that there is some things we think of, right, with the priest that is necessarily 
over the last 10, 15 years isn't something that we'd like to think about and some things that's kind of embarrassing. There's bad connotations. But the, all these things we think of of priests, you know, um, black clothes, white collar, um, can't get married, works at church, Catholic, all those sorts of things. What I'm going to have to ask you to do is just like go to your recycle bin and delete all, okay? Because all of those, that baggage of the world when it comes to priests isn't at all what we're going to be talking about today. What we're going to do as we look at Peter's words and what he wanted us to think about is what does the Bible say about priests? And what was the job or purpose of priests in the Bible? Before I give you the fill-in-the-blank definition, we need to back up just a little bit and uh, talk about our relationship with God. And some of this is going to be, if you were at the Good Friday service, a little bit of a review. But there is a huge difference between God and between us. And those differences um, are plenty. We could talk about all these differences uh, for a long time. It could be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But the main one, the biggest difference between God and us is that God is perfect and holy and without sin. And to just kind of put it bluntly, I'm not. In fact, it's not just that I sin occasionally. It's not just that we have sin in our life sometimes. That in fact, sin is so much a part of who we are that we can't stop it. Like if I were to ask you, could you, you know, go the rest of the day, 24 hours without sinning? We could not do it. Uh, sure, maybe we would treat our loved ones a little bit better, and, but then there's all those thoughts that we have. I mean, think if God created us with a sign on our foreheads that it was kind of like the NASDAQ, you know, and instead of the, the, the share prices, it just kind of had the thoughts that you have. Whew. That would be embarrassing, but it really gets back to just how much a part of us sin is. Or has this ever happened to you? Have you ever read a good Christian book? Or have you ever listened to a good sermon? And you're like, that's exactly what I needed to hear, and that exactly hits me where I need to make some changes in my life by God's grace, and you're on fire to do that, and you want to do that, and maybe in some cases you even do accomplish that with God's help. But most of the time, if you're anything like me, it is so quick where that excitement to change gets overrun and overturned by just my pension or my uh, inner sort of the nature to sin and how quickly I get into the same rut that I wanted to change. There's a big difference between God and between us, isn't there? Now, in the Old Testament, here's what God did. He had a whole bunch of different rules and laws, and sometimes we're not always sure, you know, why did God have all these rules and laws? A lot of them were to remind people that there is a big difference between a holy God and sinful us, that he wanted people to realize that there is a dividing wall that separates us from God, that we cannot have a good, healthy relationship with God because our sin makes it impossible. A holy God wants nothing to do with sin. 
And the reason God gave a bunch of rules that reminded people of this separation wasn't because he wanted to rub their noses in it. It wasn't because he wanted to flaunt his superiority as, as if he has some sort of, you know, pride complex or something. God is sinless. What he wanted to do was to show us our need. Really this, these laws, were an act of love because if you don't know you need something, you're not going to appreciate or even care that you have it. He wanted us to know that we needed a Savior. He wanted us to know that we needed help to remove this wall that divides us. So he had these laws. And this is where the priest comes in. Here's our priest. I didn't name him. You can have your own personal name for him. But here's our, here's our priest, okay? And so in these laws, what would happen is that the priest, he wasn't any more perfect than anyone else. He was just given this privilege by God. He would act, here's your fill in the blank, he would act as a go-between, between perfect God and sinful us. He was a mediator, might be another word for it. So, A lot of the sacrifices, in fact, I would say most of the sacrifices that people would do for God, they would not do themselves because they couldn't be in God's presence like that. They would give the sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would be the mediator, the go-between, and he would give the sacrifice. Old Testament uh, Christians, God followers, they would pray, but many of their prayers were done through the priest. Because they were sinful, they would tell the priest what to pray about, and the priest would come to God on their behalf. On the Day of Atonement, that day that he went, the high priest in the most holy place of the temple, the priest was acting as a mediator or a go-between, and he was given the special privilege of being in God's presence, even though there was this big wall of sin dividing us. Does that make sense? Tracking? You learn something? No white collar, black clothes, father. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a go-between, a mediator. So, 2,000 years ago, all the promises that God had had, all of the laws that were given to point people ahead to this need to get the dividing wall removed, 2,000 years ago, God sends his son And Jesus lives the perfect life that we couldn't. In fact, he could have had a sign on his forehead. There would have been nothing sinful in his thoughts. He lived the absolutely perfect life in our place. Then he died so that we don't have to. And then he rose again. And through that, guess what happened? The Bible says that through Jesus, the dividing wall has been removed. That through Jesus' death and resurrection, that now there is no dividing wall. Yes, we still sin, but it's been forgiven as far as east is from the west. So far has God removed our sin from us. And now we are able to have a relationship with God through Jesus and the work that he did. Um, Here's how Hebrews puts it. We read these words earlier, but we're going to look at them real quickly again. Since we have a great high priest here referencing Jesus, over the house of God, over his people, let us come kind of cautiously towards a perfect holy God who could strike us dead. Let us, you know, come um, not so sure if this is going to work. No, he says, let us draw near 
There's a relationship there. Let, come close to him with how? An honest heart, a sincere heart. God sees through, you know, formal, formalism. He sees through just uh, people who are putting on a show. Come with a sincere heart in full assurance. I mean, what if, but what about 10 years ago when I, confidence. What about those college years when, through Jesus, draw near to him with full confidence. You have a relationship with him. So guess what? Priests, you don't need them. <laughs> I'm not going to call you father, but you are the priest. Because you get to do exactly what the priest did back then. You get to be in God's presence. We are priests. Does that make sense? What a privilege that is, that we have this close relationship, and when Peter says, you're a royal priesthood, what he's saying is, you don't need priests anymore because I've removed the wall. You have a relationship with God. Draw near to him. So, Here's there now how we're going to finish up today. We understand we have a close relationship with God through Jesus, and maybe that for some of you is all that you really needed to hear today because you've been struggling with your relationship with God and you're wondering if he can love you through faith in Jesus. He absolutely does. But what does being a priest mean for our day-to-day lives? And in the Bible references a number of things. But the, the part that I think gets most to the essence of a priest and the part that we're going to concentrate on today in the time that we have left is prayer. That God has given us this opportunity called prayer to come into his presence and to talk to him. Now, let me talk about prayer for a second. There are some people in this room that have an awesome, vibrant, consistent prayer life. And I hope that message, the rest of the message today, just encourages you to keep that up. But I would say the majority of us, and I would include myself in that camp, tends to not have as vibrant of a prayer life as what I could. And in some ways, I really, lots of ways, I really needed this study this week for me personally. That a lot of us, we pray before meals, unless we're in a restaurant, we don't want people to see us, and that's that whole awkward thing, you know. We pray before meals, memorize prayers, we pray before bed, when the pastor prays on church on Sunday, we bow our heads, and if there's not too many distractions, we listen. And then, for the most part, the rest of the time we pray is when we need stuff, isn't it? Isn't it? When we're trying to get stuff from God, when there's a, a difficulty that comes up, when someone is sick or someone's aunt is sick or whatever it might be, or when we're going through a crisis, and most of the time our prayer life is about bending God's ear and twisting his arm. Now, is that wrong or bad? No. God wants us to pray about everything. He wants us to bring his requests or our requests to him. In fact, and I don't fully understand this, prayer actually has influence with God. Here's the part I don't understand. God has a plan from before creation 
And yet the Bible also says that my measly little prayers have the power to move God in a way, to influence direction. Now, how that perfectly works or how that actually works, I don't fully understand, but it is amazingly awesome benefit of prayer. But what if prayer wasn't even given mostly for that? What if that's a part of prayer? But what if that wasn't the central part of prayer? I say that that would have the potential to totally energize and invigorate our prayer lives if we truly understand what the center of prayer was about and that it's not trying to get stuff from God. That, understanding the central part of prayer, would really revolutionize our prayer lives and in that way, our whole faith lives. Well, today, what we're going to look at is a section that Jesus teaches about prayer um, in his Sermon on the Mount, and um, a little bit after the two verses we're going to look at, Jesus gives a model for prayer called the Lord's Prayer, and we tend to just look at that as something to memorize and to say word for word, and that's a good thing. But it was more given as a model, as, as here are the things that would be good to pray about. But before he gets to how to pray, he talks a little bit about the heart of prayer. And those are the verses that we're going to look at uh, real quickly here, verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 6. Here's what Jesus says. When you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites. So there were some people that were using prayer and in praying, and they were doing the right thing on the outside, but their hearts were disconnected, and Jesus is, is calling them out, and he's teaching the people. Don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, and, and here's where the disconnect was. They were taking time, they were saying words, but why did they do it? To be seen by men. Oh, how many of you make a big show of your prayer so that everyone sees you? This isn't our problem, is it? We don't go out on the street corner and, you know, have a big old prayer revival for, so that people see us. But in, in this day and age, um, the Jews had been directed, there were three major times to pray, uh, 9 o'clock, 12, and 3. And it must have been, as Jesus uh, in this culture, that some were taking advantage of those public times of prayer, and, and Jesus knows their hearts, and they were making a scene of it. And it was more about being seen, looking religious, than it was about their hearts and what, it, what, you know, what prayer and the essence is really about. And so Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. And what was their reward? Well, they wanted to be seen by people, they were seen by people. They wanted to be acknowledged by people. Well, their reward was people saw them and people thought they were religious. Their heart was disconnected. It was more of a ritual than anything else. Listen to verse 6. Jesus says, though, but when you pray, go into your room and close the door. Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Go into your room, close the door, 
just you and God, find a time of quiet, and talk to God as the priests that you are. But, come on, can't we pray anywhere? Yeah. Can't we pray anytime? Yeah. I mean, you can pray while you're driving down I-35, putting the makeup on and the cell phone ringing. I mean, you can pray then. That's fine. Kids, you can pray in the bus. Lord, please let there be no quiz. Please let there be no quiz. I mean, you can pray anytime, anywhere. Jesus isn't excluding times of prayer. What he is is directing us to how prayer can be the most benefit, not to God, to us. And he's saying, for a good prayer life, part of it is finding a place, finding a time, to not just be praying when your hair's on fire and there's an emergency going, to find a place and find a time. That prayer is more about more than twisting God's arm. That prayer is about a relationship. And a relationship to grow takes time, takes effort, takes planning. I don't know if you're, you're tracking with me quite yet. I hope most of you are. But I think a real-life human-to-human relationship example can help with this. And so for me, my most important relationship uh, human-wise is, is uh, you know, my wife. And Carrie and I, you know, are really blessed. I don't tell her enough that uh, as far as being blessed in our marriage. Um, but one of the things we found is that if the only time that we talk is about the um, never-ending cycle of what needs to get done, if the only time that we talk with each other is about budgets and chauffeuring and, you know, schedules and what's for supper, if the only time we connect is in the midst of the daily grind of life, guess what, guess what happens? We begin to, in some ways, grow apart. And it's not that we're not talking to each other. It's just that we haven't planned time. And so, and this has happened, we can be after a, a season of life like that or a week or a month where we haven't made the time, we can, you know, kind of look at each other and we've both said it at times, you know, I feel far from you, but I'm right across the table from you. How do you feel far from me? We've been talking, yeah. But a relationship, you have to find time and a place. And so what helps with that is taking time after the kids are in bed and to be deliberate about talking, not just about the daily grind, but about life. Or sometimes we do what we did a couple weeks ago, which is to go out to eat, tell the waitress, hey, you know, we're going to be here a while. Don't rush. I mean, we don't have kids tonight. We're going to be here a long time. And we just talk and spend time together. Now, you understand this when it comes to your human relationship because relationship takes time and it takes a place and it takes effort. Which of those two, the daily grind or taking time, do our prayer lives most look like? I know mine has been more the daily grind. 
and what Jesus is speaking to us today through these words that preface the Lord's Prayer is go to a room, close the door, pick a place, set aside time. And the thing is that Jesus did not just teach this. He actually modeled it. Um, If you look through the Gospels at the times that he prayed, I think most, I know most, maybe all the times of his referenced prayer was when Jesus went into the boat away from the crowds, went into the wilderness by himself, left Peter, James, and John, and went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. That Jesus, too, understood the relational aspect of prayer and that God has invited you and me through Jesus into his presence and that prayer, I think this is the bolded part in your yellow sheet, is not about getting stuff from God. That's part of it. That's not what it's about. At the heart, it's a relationship with God. And what this verse ends is, then if you do that, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Ah, good. That, so what that means is that I just need to go in a room, close the door, and then he'll give me what I want. <laughs> that's the ticket. But that's not what Jesus is meaning here. He's using a direct comparison to the reward in verse 5. And those who were praying to get the acknowledgement of people, their reward was what? That people acknowledged them and the relationship with those people probably was better because they looked so religious. The reward is the direct correlation to that. When our prayer life is about the Lord and about a room and a place, a quiet time, the reward isn't that he's going to give you everything you want. And by the way, aren't you thankful he doesn't? There's been a lot of things that I've wanted over my life that in retrospect, I'm glad he didn't give me. The reward is that your relationship with him grows. And I know this is kind of scary. Like, what am I going to talk about all this time in this quiet room? We'll start with five minutes. And just list some blessings from the last day. Have some things that you ask for. Thank him for things that he's given. Praise him. Start with five minutes. Maybe move it to 10, 15. But what God is saying is that he will reward you. And your reward might be a little different than my reward and vice versa, but he will bless you when you remember you're a priest and that your relationship with God is important And that prayer is a way to talk to the God that we have are blessed to have a relationship with. A few years ago, um, the Washington Post did an experiment. Um, There's a famous violinist. His name is uh, Joshua Bell. Um, I I don't live in this world. Um, I admire this world, but as far as the violinist world, he is one of the most famous, best violinists. His violin is uh, $3.5 million is what he paid for it. Um, He's the best of the best. People spend thousands of dollars to go listen to him. Well, they did an experiment where they hired him to play for an hour. You'll see a picture of that in the subways, uh, one of the depots uh, or the train station in uh, Washington, D.C., just to see what people do in the midst of their busy lives. And over an hour, you have this world-renowned violinist playing uh, very, very well for an hour. 
And seven people stopped for a few seconds to listen, while well over a thousand people walked by as if he wasn't even playing. There was this blessing happening to them for free, and they walked right by it. I pray that in the area of our prayer life, that we don't walk by the blessing of prayer. And I know I have at times. That today I pray that you understand the blessing that God wants to give you. And it's not just giving you always what you ask for. That there is an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with him by making prayer an important part of our daily lives. To find a place. If There's two things I'd ask you to do. Find a place, find a time. And then daily... Spend time with God and see, my fellow priests, how he blesses this awesome privilege that we have to come to him in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there may be people in this room, I would include myself in that group, that haven't always made prayer what it should be, have forgotten um, that it's, it's so much more than an opportunity to uh, ask you for things. Lord, I'd, I'd, help, I'd hope that, I pray that you would help encourage us to strengthen us um, to grow in our relationship with you through the blessing of prayer and the blessing of your word. If we have room for improvement, help us to find a place and time. If we've been doing that, help us to continue. In Jesus' name we pray.